Hi folks, this is Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is July the 14th. This is episode 2913 of the Survival Podcast. We're going to dig into a subject today that we've only talked about a couple times over 13 years, and it's, it's a good thing that, uh, this, that this guest reached out to me. Um, her name is Ashley Snazy, and uh, I've known her husband, Dylan, for a long time through social media, and uh, I was really excited when this application came across my desk. We're going to talk about birth freedom. And the way she described it in her application for a proposed topic, and I chose it because it couldn't do better, why you should give a F about birth freedom. And she put a little ampersand in the F word, so I did too, because um, I honor my guests and the way they want to do things. And um, this is a huge subject for me. And, and I want to kind of launch right into it with our quote of the day today. Um, and, and you might wonder, like, well, where do you go for a quote that has anything to do with birth freedom uh, and, and discussing that uh, with our guest today. Well, here's the deal. Freedom's freedom. Doesn't matter freedom of what. If you're not free in one walk of life, you're really not free in any. So I looked for a general quote on freedom, and I, I kind of dug through some stuff, and I found one by Bob Dylan that maybe I'm taking a little bit different of a take than the way he meant it. But I think it's perfect for today. Bob Dylan one time said, A hero is someone who understands the responsibility that comes with his freedom. A hero is someone who understands the responsibility that comes with his freedom. I think there's a lot of responsibilities that come with freedom, and I understand how Dylan meant it. I understand that my right to keep and bear arms also comes with a responsibility that I don't take my gun and load it and set it outside of my fence where some kid or some criminal can pick it up and walk down the street with it, that I have a responsibility to, over, to, to see to its security as well as to exercise the freedom to own it. But do you know what my first responsibility is when it comes to the world of freedom? Freedom itself. We are to be guardians of our own freedom. A freedom has never been given to a man, ever. It's only been seized. It's only ever been taken. It's only ever been won. And we should fight back in every way in which we can, in which our freedoms are impinged. And we talk about America like it's the land of the free and the home of the brave. And for a land of the free, we have a hell of a lot of freedoms that are impinged upon on a daily basis. And it seems there's a never-ending march forward. And sometimes these freedoms are obstructed. They're obstructed and they're, 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 they're screwed with in ways that are not always through the tyranny of government. Sometimes they're quasi-government. Sometimes they're just a use of control mechanisms that infiltrate into our lives and make us believe that we do not have a choice in how we're going to act. And I'll tell you what the absence of freedom is. The absence of freedom is entering into a decision where you have multiple choices that are valid decisions, but you're only told about one in the person that you trusted to tell you about all of them. 
intentionally withholds information because they believe they know what's best for you. That is the absence of freedom. The good news is when that is the case, through education and knowledge and courage alone, one can assert their freedom, and then that's the only way you're going to have it anyway. What does that have to do with birth freedom? When you hear my discussion with Ashley today, you'll never ask that question again. You'll understand it perfectly. You won't ever, ever have to ask that question again. What you will hear today will be both empowering, interesting, I should say will be many things, multifaceted, will be empowering, educational, somewhat entertaining. And in some ways, some of what you hear today, if you're like me, will disgust you. Absolutely disgust you. You'll hear at one point how doctors use a highly sophisticated sales technique on women when they're at their most vulnerable. And you'll hear my response to it, and you'll know exactly when it happens. You will not be like, I wonder if that's what Jack was talking about in the intro. You'll be like, no, uh-huh. okay, I get it. And I'll have Ashley on to talk about all of that and more in just a bit. Before I get her on, though, let's do go ahead and mention our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one is Ridge Wallet. I can't tell you how many times recently I've had conversations when paying for something at a store about the Ridge Wallet. Everything from clerks saying, hey, that's the Ridge Wallet, and then talking about it, to people going, oh, that's interesting. What, why, do you, why do you carry your stuff like that? And explaining to them how it helps protect from ID theft. And it's interesting to me that it's people like clerks at convenience stores at gas stations that understand exactly why you'd want something like this because of skimming and other things that go on like that. Um, I'm telling you, the Ridge Wallet has been great in so many ways. Uh, my, I'll tell you what, I've had my Ridge Wallet for three years, and, and in those three years, I've had my uh, credit card information or my debit card information stole exactly zero times. My wife, who pretty much goes and does the same kind of stuff I do all the time, has actually had her credit card, her debit card, actually compromised three times in three years. I just find that interesting. I'm not saying it's exactly why, but I'm saying it's interesting. Check them out today at RidgeWallet.com. Remember, you can get 10% off all purchases at RidgeWallet.com if you're a member of the MSB. Next up today, J.M. Bullion. Everybody listens to this show knows what an advocate I am of cryptocurrency. And sometimes when I when I talk about cryptocurrency, they're like, I think we should get into gold and silver, not cryptocurrency. I'm like, you know, why is it one or the other? I've been teaching, and I have never changed this number since 2008, that it makes a lot of sense to have 5 to 10% of your net wealth in silver and or gold. And the beauty of silver and gold is when you buy silver or you buy gold, it's the same. That's why it's fungible. An ounce of silver is an ounce of silver. A silver eagle is a silver eagle. You know, a gold double eagle is a gold double eagle. There's some numismatic stuff there, but when it comes down to the base value, it's the same. So there's literally no reason to pay more than you have to for your silver or your gold. It doesn't make any sense. If two places are selling you a basketball from, made by Wilson, and they, they give the same kind of service, or the one that's less expensive actually gives better service, you buy the less expensive one. We all understand this. Well, when it comes to silver and gold, if you go to jmbullion.com, You'll pay the lowest price in the industry across the board. I mean, I've checked the big silver houses like Monex and uh, Atmix and uh, Lear Capital. I even turned down Lear Capital as an advertiser. I'm like, you guys don't compete. I'm sorry. 
I've got my silver and gold company that I trust. That's JM Bullion. You know why? They give you a discount if you're an MSB member. No one does that, but they do. They ship free to your home. I don't know many people that do that in the silver and gold industry. They support the show. And if there ever is a problem, you get in touch with me, I can get in touch with the President Michael in a matter of minutes by email, unless he happens to be on an airplane or something. I mean, I get responses from him like that. And I don't know why you wouldn't buy your silver and gold, therefore, from Jam Bullion. I know that I do. Check them out today at jambullion.com. All right, with that, let's go ahead and get into the main topic of today's show. Again, I want to introduce Ashley. Um, she's an amazing lady. She's a doula. You don't know what a doula is? Don't worry, we'll tell you. She's a registered dietitian nutritionist. She's also a bacon addict. Local and pasture-raised, of course. Mother of two beautiful boys and a wife to an incredibly supported husband named Dylan. And I'll tell you what, this is a great discussion you're about to hear on birth freedom, on the industry that has been built off of women and childbirth, how we got here and what you can do about it. Like I said already, I really thought this would be good when I got the app. When I got the application for this guest appearance, I was like, I think this would be a good topic and this would be a good discussion. It was way better than I expected. And with that... Ashley, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Thank you for having me. We got you on today to talk about birth freedom. And I think we've actually talked about home births once or twice uh, with a guest over 13 years. So um, this is a subject we need to go deeper into. I'm for all freedoms. I, don't, I think if you have anything that you're not free with, then you're not free. Uh, so I think this is a great subject, and I'm sure we'll, we'll dig deep into it. But I always like to start out with my guests, you know, um, who is Ashley? Like, how did you get to where you are in life? And I mean, you know, professionally, uh, however you want to take it, professionally, ideologically, what have you. But, like, take us back to, like, I don't know, like, toward the end of high school and you're trying to figure out what to do with your life. How do you walk a path that ends up doing what you do today? Yeah, absolutely. So I went to college thinking I worked in a daycare, so I'm going to be a teacher because that just – goes together really well, which is not actually true. That's like, I like kids, so I'm going to teach. Um, so I found that that wasn't my thing about two years into college, and I went to a majors fair where nobody finds what they actually want to do. Like, oh, I'm going to look at this trifold board, and yeah, this seems like a great path for me, but that's exactly what happened. Like, I saw a board for um, a dietetics major to become a registered dietitian. And I was like, okay, love food, always loved food, always loved to cook. I can do these science classes because that's what I'm, I'm really interested in is biology and how things affect the body. Sounds great. So um, finished my degree in dietetics, went to do my internship to become a registered dietitian. An internship is a lie when it comes to becoming a dietitian, just in case anybody wanted to know. I'd be like, oh, I'm doing an internship. And people are like, well, that's neat that you can just kind of dip your toes in your field and get paid. And that's not at all what that was. So you pay to go for 1,200 hours of experience um, in the community with real practitioners in order to sit for the exam. So I did that, and my education was – basically purchased by the USDA because we learned all the USDA dietary guidelines um, 
food pyramid then turned into my plate. So that's what I was teaching. And I was working a lot on the uh, treatment of nutrition issues after they're happening. Like I'm seeing people after their heart surgery to say, hey, you should eat less salt and less fat, which I didn't believe in. So there was that paradigm of like, this is what my professional organization wants me to do. And this is what I feel like science and research is actually telling me to do. So I had to, in a nutrition sense, learn all of the things that were not being presented to me in my college education and figure out um, what approach best resonated with me, which is a lower carb, um, whole foods, ancestral diet um, kind of way of eating and really paying attention to the quality of the food that you put in your body, knowing your farmer, things like that. So that is my path as a dietitian, which then molded into my path as a doula when uh, my husband Dylan and I had our first child, Ted. And I just found that there was a startling lack of support for women entering new motherhood and whole families entering familyhood. Um, so I didn't even know what a doula was until I had my second child. Um, and I just thought I absolutely have to do this. I have to help walk women through this transformational period of life um, the way that I wish that I could have been supported and empowered and uh, really immersed in the experience of birth. So it's been a long, weird road. And had you asked me 10 years ago what I would be doing now, it certainly wouldn't be this, and I wouldn't <laughs> have it any other way. It's, it's beautiful. Awesome. And just because people might have glossed over the quick number you threw up there of uh, 1,200 hours, uh, being that 12 is a pretty easy number to divide by, that's, folks, that's 30, 40-hour work weeks. It's not an insignificant amount of time um, to, to, to pay to be involved with, to get a certification that, in the end, you largely disagree with the accrediting body. Uh, and then real quick, before yes. we dig into more on uh, birth in the United States, I want to get into this birth as a business thing, but you threw a word out there. I know what it means, because um, I looked it up when I got your application like two months ago. Uh, but there's probably a lot of people that are like, what the hell's a doula? So what is a doula? Yes. <laughs> yeah, so a doula, a lot of people um, know that it's somebody that's involved in birth, but um, midwives and doulas are different. So a midwife attending a birth is there for um, medical purposes. They're taking heart rates. They are... Um, you know, physically touching a client and helping them birth a child on a medical standpoint. A doula does not do anything um, medical. We are there for mental and emotional and physical support of birth in the sense of um, applying counter pressure to reduce pain, um, helping with different positions that might ease um a mother in labor, on a balance ball, things like that. Um, and we also play a really big role in um, making sure that everybody, that both parents know all of their options and choices around birth. Because that's not something that occurs in the, often that's not something that occurs in the medical model 
unsupported by a doula. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, in dealing with it myself, like, you get pregnant, you go to a doctor, you go to the hospital, you have a baby. That, that's yep. how I thought for most of my life. I've learned that there's lots of other options, but I guess it would be correct also to say then that a doula would work along with an enlightened physician or a midwife, that, that honestly there might be some sort of teamwork there. Absolutely, yes. Okay. So a doula is part of um, a woman's care team with an obstetrician or a midwife. I do not attend any births that are unattended by a medical professional. Sure, so, sure. Yep, we all work together for sure. Because we also need midwives to do things like, um, in this instance... We need a doctor now. Like Correct. that's one thing, because uh, it's not like every birth goes smoothly enough that like a straight up at home birth will work for. It. Just a lot of them do, and that kind of leads me to my next question: in how birth became a business in the United States, because I think we can all agree. I, I certainly, I can already tell you're open to this that there are some births that probably should be taking place in a hospital. There's probably times even for like more radical things like a C-section or something like that because we have a situation that's not typical. Absolutely. But when births are typical, which I would assume if everything's done properly, that the majority of them are, because that's how we got to be here as a species, Correct. Birth in the United States, birth around the world, even very much still today, is something that, you know, a midwife, a doula, like there were people that knew at the village what to do, and it wasn't a business. There was really no expense in having a baby. Maybe there was like you took care of people within your village or your town, and there was a small charge, but there wasn't like you didn't end up with a bill for $5,000 after you had a baby that your insurance paid 10% of or something like that, <laughs> right? That wasn't a thing. Correct. And now, like, it is an industry. How did we go from something that generally was just a normal biological function? Yep. And now it is an industry, and people don't even know there's another option. Yeah, it's. It's a really um, neat marketing scheme that has happened over the last, uh, largely in the last 200 years or so. But in the United States, like you said, births were attended by women in a community. So birth was more of a, definitely a rite of passage with women, but also um a community event like there would be um, young teenage girls at the birth of um, like their aunt was giving birth or someone in their family was giving birth. So as you're growing up as a child and on knowing what birth entails, being a part of mostly physiological births in your community and women have passed on the knowledge of birth from generation to generation organically in the fact that that birth was a family experience among women. So it was a beautiful system. And it's one of those things where um, people are like, oh my gosh, but we are so lucky to be in 2021 where birth is so much safer than it was back in the day when everybody was dying. It wasn't because of the practices of the midwife or the fact that home births and midwife-assisted births were uh, more medically dangerous, but instead it was more of the lots of women were malnourished at that time, and so birth had 
a higher risk of um, infection and death because these women's bodies weren't in a strong enough place to go through birth. Um, And it's like talking about illness in medieval times, like, oh, everything was so dangerous. Everyone was dying everywhere. Well, yeah, then they like figured out sewer systems and plumbing and things like that. And things were a ton safer. It's kind of uh, similar in that way. So around the 18th century, so this is just a women attended event. um, And things are going pretty well, except for the fact that there are other factors outside of the care that somebody's getting during birth that is making birth more risky. So in the 18th century, was the development of forceps. So midwives before this point had all different ways to turn baby's body um, in the birth canal when they were malpositioned. So if like shoulders got stuck, they knew how to manipulate the babies to come out or they knew to change mom's position. Well, men in uh, male physicians decide that forceps is a better idea. And they are marketing themselves as superior to midwives because of this technology. Midwives are still like reigning as the top birth attendants at this time, but it's the beginning of, and I am not demonizing men at all, like as a entire <laughs> uh, gender. No, I understand. I mean, and it, it makes sense. You show us a problem. We pick up a wrench. Right. That's just how yes. the male mind works. Like, this thing yeah. doesn't move. I, what lever can I apply to it to make it move versus how do I work with it? Because we're very mechanical and women are very nurturing. And that's not 100%. There's women that are non-nurturing and there's men that are very nurturing. But in yeah. general, that's our predisposition. And that that's something that we should all be comfortable with understanding. Yeah, absolutely. And that is a perfect analogy You give a man a problem, he wants to fix it, he picks up a wrench. That is exactly how this kind of played out. Like, And birth is such a weird thing because, like, by definition, no man can possibly experience that. And yet they still want to have influence on how it should go at this time. Like, they felt that they knew better than, um, you know, nature and all these generations of women before them. And it's unsettling. It's unsettling to look at the history and how fast things progressed into where we are. Um, Physicians at this time are male physicians are way more dangerous than midwives because this is before germ theory and physicians are not washing their hands between patients and between medical procedures. So there was really high rates of infection with the, um, male birth attendant um, model and male birth attendants wanted things to be uh, sleeker and more convenient for um, like having certain birthing positions be preferred because it was easier for them to monitor baby or it was easier for them to see what's going on. Um, And that trend continues forward into modern obstetrics. So germ theory comes around, and uh, now we have use of anesthetics, um, antiseptics, 
the C-section is made safer where more and more women are actually surviving that procedure because before this point, a C-section was really a very last resort and done in uh, situations where they thought mom would not make it. So, and then by the 1950s, 88% of 88% of births were in the hospital and almost all of them were on their backs, which evolutionarily just does not make any sense at all. Um, and that'll kind of play into talking about the cascade of interventions, but it um, really makes you have to fight your own body and your own baby to push your baby out. That's not in all cases, but the majority of the time, a position where an upright position where you can use gravity to your advantage is always um, preferred. So it's been a weird thing. I mean, we're only like two generations removed from um, a time where almost every birth was at home and things have flipped so radically. And the, just like in other categories of medicine um it's really been pushed that science is the answer science is your is the only thing and you need to be trusting something outside of your body to tell you that everything's okay you need me as a physician to um be there because this is a pathological dangerous event. And <laughs> like you said, for the majority of women, like upwards of 90% properly attended, properly prepared. Um, those are very low risk women that would meet the criteria for a home birth or a birth center birth that would be perfectly safe. You know, you've made me think of something that I've really, you know, I, I should have seen this a long time ago, but I, but I didn't. Knowing what I did about the history of how childbirth has gone on for most of human existence, and like I said, still does in many parts of the world, There's you talk about the woman being prepared. I can't think of what would make a woman more prepared to give birth than having been a girl co-attending another woman giving birth. Exactly. And spending time and maybe having experienced being at the attendance of a birth multiple times prior to giving birth. And that that has been taken away from women. That ability to, like, if you think about it, it's, and it's hard for me to understand exactly because I will never give birth to a child. I don't. I, I, my mind is not demented where I think that's possible, right? I understand. Dudes don't have babies. But there are things in any human's life that are very momentous experiences. They're, they're big experiences. And if you know you're going to have one, generally you try to get some level of information prior to them occurring. If you get a car wreck yeah. and you get your leg cut off, you can't really be prepared for that. But if you're going into a medical procedure or you're going, like when I joined the Army, totally different thing, but like I learned a lot about what to expect before yes. I showed up and some guy was screaming at me and cutting my hair off. I had this preparation. And when I think about You know, watching my, my, my daughter-in-law go through uh, pregnancy and having a child in the conventional way because that's what they wanted, and she's a nurse, and, like, you can't turn that off there. Like, I know yeah. my limits. 
I realized that she probably wasn't prepared at all by the process and what probably was the most preparatory for her is she had already had one. Yeah. She had already had my grandson. Yeah. So when she had my granddaughter, she was actually way more prepared than she was when I, I can imagine when she had my grandson. But had she come up in a society where this was a normal thing and had been there when an aunt had birth or a cousin had birth, she would have been as prepared or maybe even in some ways, some ways more prepared than her second child. There may be Absolutely. even still some things that she doesn't really understand because, well, you're on your back making loud noises and unhappy, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I understand that. That's not, it's not comfortable. I get it. Um, yeah. as best a man can. But if you were on the other end of that, it, it seems to me you would understand better. I, I, I'm, you know, totally prepared to, Uh, work on a car because I've worked on cars before. And if, mm -hmm. if, if I had to go do that with no preparation, it would be a different experience. Like, I don't know if that makes sense, but it just seems like that's a very human thing that in most human societies, most women giving birth would have attended one or more births prior to doing so. Correct. And we have been robbed. You're absolutely right. It has been taken away from women and it really does completely transform your view of birth from a young age because right now we're shielding children from birth completely. It's not super common to have um, siblings at births anymore. Um, they don't need to see that is how that goes a lot of the time. That would be so traumatic. Um, <laughs> and that is... So might have less damn, you might have less teen pregnancy if, you know, you right? were 12. And you're like, oh, oh, hold on. I'm not ready for this yet. Like, you're going to have to want that experience before you put yourself in a position to have it. Yes. Um, I, also, yes. I also don't think we can separate, like, the time you're talking about, men bringing toolboxes to childbirth, and then the overlap as we got into the early 1900s and the, the, the dawning of the American Medical Association, which is a union, That's what it really is. It's a medical union. It's a guild. And then becoming a de facto governmental body, then anything that was a medical procedure became an industry. Yes. It just so happens that childbirth is probably the one that least needs to be. Yes. Of all the things that are. There's so many things we can do for ourselves, and that's something that, again, if, if, if human beings were not capable of developing the experiential capital within like a village size and, and even lower to do this, there would be no humans. Right. We'd have gone extinct because we didn't have modern medicine 500 years ago. So how did we do this? Well, obviously we, we did it because it's a natural thing. Like, you know, I'm not going to completely compare it, but you know, my, I, I had a cat that had kittens Right, The animal yeah. knew what to do intrinsically, and women, I think, have more um, instinctual knowledge of how to deal with this than we give them credit for, and maybe it's been taken away as well. But like yeah. women all, in, in developing parts of the world all over the place, sometimes there isn't even a midwife. They just, you know, it's, it's a biolog biological function. It's probably Absolutely. not the best situation in some instances, but... Somehow they do it. Oh, yeah. It's definitely an instinctual process and um, 
the hormonal process to bring a baby into the world is so fascinating and we don't even know all of what's going on there. Um, even now in 2021, it is so complex. It is so, um, such a delicate orchestration that is going to continue whether you'd like to participate in it or not. And truly from my own birth experiences. So I have, uh, experience both sides of the coin. I had what was uh, marketed to me as a medically complex uh, first pregnancy and had just a terribly stressful time from my 20-week ultrasound until after I had Teddy. Um, There was something that they saw on the ultrasound that um, looked concerning that assist on one of my ovaries. So they were going to monitor it closely. They sent me to an obstetric gynecologist. So a doctor that works specifically with women and cancer while I was still pregnant because they thought very unlikely, but um, they wanted to have an oncologist on board in case this was cancer that needed to be taken out uh, while I was still pregnant. Mm. Horrible terrible experience just start to finish. So I had a hospital birth with Teddy. I, my water broke first and I went to the hospital right away because that's what I was told to do and was so excited and couldn't sleep all night. We went to the hospital at like 10 o'clock at night and, Oh, we're having a baby. So excited. Nothing happened (laughs) the whole night. Uh, No contractions. My doctor came in and said, you know, your water's been broken for 14 hours. I think you need some vitamin P is what she said. And I was like, okay. (laughs) And she left the room and we had no idea what that meant. And then this nurse brought in Pitocin to give me an induction to start my contractions. So Looking at birth freedom, like, first of all, informed consent is usually not a part of the mainstream obstetric picture right now, because I know for a fact that you need some vitamin P is not giving me true informed consent, going through risks, the benefits and the alternatives of that treatment. I had no idea what to expect because I didn't know anything about birth, like at all. I went to the hospital Um, childbirth education class, which teaches you more about how to be a good compliant patient than it will ever teach you about (laughs) physiological birth process and risks and benefits of interventions. And so I wasn't prepared at all. We did the induction and they say that like Pitocin is Pitocin, uh, synthetic or the natural stuff that your body makes. So we're going to induce you with Pitocin. But what the artificial Pitocin does is it creates longer, stronger, and faster contractions than anything that your body would produce on its own or not until the very end of labor when you're ready to push baby out. So within an hour of the Pitocin starting, I was having one minute long contractions, two minutes apart. And I was not making, I was not progressing 
in mm. quotes. So I did that for eight hours of the worst pain of my entire life and finally got the epidural. I looked at Dylan and I said, I'm not a failure if I get the epidural, right? You'll still love me if I get the epidural, <laughs> which anybody that knows my husband, they're like, that's not even a question at all. And he was crying. He was so upset to watch me in this pain all this time because he wasn't prepared. He was less prepared probably than even I was. And so we got the epidural and by all accounts, people would be like, oh, well, that's a nice delivery. Like, at least it didn't go on for 24 hours or um, you should be happy that your baby was safe and that you were safe. So you have nothing to complain about, even though that was a terribly traumatic set of experiences for me, because it's not what I had envisioned for myself. I didn't feel empowered to make my own decisions and to know what was going on around me. And it felt like those, that was a set of events that were done to me. It didn't feel like, like I was in control and that was, so I've had that experience. I've had the hospital thing. And if you want the hospital thing, I am totally there to support you as well. I, as a doula, am not, usually when I tell people that I'm a doula, they're like, oh, yeah, I wish that I could have had a natural birth, but I ended up needing a C-section and feel like they need to explain their or um, validate why they had a C-section. Like, if you know all of the risks and benefits of a scheduled C-section and you're like, yes, I still want to do that, totally, let's do it. See, that's, want- that's not knowing what a doula is, though, or they wouldn't even tell you that, right? They could Because would it have been nice if you had a doula, what all that was going on, to explain to you what the hell vitamin P was? Oh, my gosh. Right? It would have completely, completely changed my experience 100% to have somebody sitting next to me that would even yeah. say, Ashley, do you know what she's talking about? You know, I would say you probably need someone like that. I, I think you probably need someone like you more in a hospital birth than a midwife, uh, you know, home birth or a birthing center birth. And totally. I'll tell you why. I trust the doctor effing less. Yeah. Period. I trust the doctor less, not to be competent, but to tell you what you deserve to know. I I yes. trust a doctor zero to tell you what you should know. Before a procedure. I'm not saying they never do it. My wife had a very complicated surgery due to a condition called trigeminal neuralgia. The doctor that did it was exceptional. He was also in a, in a teaching hospital, and his staff came and redid it over and over. I don't think it was for our benefit. I think it was for theirs. But he was exceptional. I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm saying, like, it's you know Reagan's thing with Russia. Trust but verify. And I don't give any... I mean, zero implicit trust. And I would also say that I think the more in the minds of the medical practitioner the thing is routine, and yes. to them a, a birth is routine, um, a C-section is routine. Things that we would think of as not being routine, to them it's routine. They do it every day. The less I trust them to disclose. Yes. I mean, and I, don't, and I, mean, I already started at zero. So all we've done, <laughs> when we go to routine, <laughs> we go to negative. Um, Let's kind of go from there, though, because one of the things I'm always on is about how media, popular culture, etc., is propaganda. It's programming. That's why they call it programming, and programming is what you do to a computer to get a desired result. 
is there a lot of influence in media and pop culture on the expectations around a birth? It's absolutely horrendous. So as we were talking about before, women have been robbed of experiencing someone else's birth before they experience their own. So they don't have any of that community context for what a birth should look like. And instead, they have the influence of um, TV, movies, social media, and almost exclusively in mainstream um, TV and movies, you see that birth is an emergent pathology that is just wrought with risk and it needs assistance of a medical expert at all times. So you see the mom is doing something routine and her water breaks and immediately she's in the most pain of her life, two minute apart contractions. Somebody needs to call an ambulance. There's no time like this franticness that then you feel as a woman when you're in that position to do those same things, because like you said, it's programming. It's the only context that you have to frame this new experience for yourself and to do that, to like drop everything you're doing at the first contraction and go to the hospital really messes up those, that cascade of hormones that ends up in a normal physiologic birth. And when you do that, you open yourself up to, or the risk of having further intervention is much greater. So one of my favorite shows is Grey's Anatomy. And it's a guilty pleasure of mine, a very guilty pleasure. I've watched all 16 seasons like four times. And it's so interesting to be a doula now and watch this show because uh, there's an OB that's one of the main characters. And so you see a lot of her cases and by definition, like if you're going to this type of doctor that's depicted in the show, that means that your pregnancy is medically complicated, which is about 10% of all pregnancies. So of course there's no context into that. You just see, you just watch the seasons progress of the show and think, oh my gosh, there's a lot of scary stuff that can happen when a baby's born. Good thing the doctor's there. Good thing the they were in the hospital. Good thing they could get a C-section when really even being in these settings that are um, with bright lights and strangers going in and out of your room and um, all of these distractions, not making a woman feel safe, that is what is leading to the increased interventions and then you're like, oh, thank God for the medical system. And it's the medical system that was the problem to begin with. You know what I mean? Like they coerce yeah. you into thinking that you needed them. My wife got into that show. And I was actually, as you were talking before you said Grace Anatomy, immediately thinking about it. We kind of we kind of tuned out as the show got more and more woke. Um, but we did uh, watch, correct. I would guess, like yeah. the first 10-ish 10, 10 seasons. And... Um, mm -hmm. It was the case, and I would notice, like, it, it's not just childbirth. It was everything, and I guess because it makes more drama, right? But, like, every oh, yeah. freaking time a doctor is operating, you're like, okay, 30 seconds into this, you're going to hear, beep, 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 look at a code or something. <laughs> it never, like, are you guys completely incompetent that you, like, 
can you have one scene where the guy goes into surgery, they do the surgery, and everybody comes out, and everything was just like routine? Like, because you yeah. know the majority of, if, if the majority of surgeries weren't routine, people would think a lot longer before they had a surgery, and maybe they should anyway. But yeah, there's like this kind of like hyped up thing. And even if they're only doing it because it makes a better TV drama, even if it's not to plant this doubt, it has the same net result that, oh, my God, this is always a problem. And so not only – you, so you said like 90% are, are routine, they're normal, they're not complex pregnancies. Even of that 10%, what you're seeing in these dramas, if you want to call them that, is the 2%. Yes. Right? The, the like, yeah. only one other doctor's ever done this surgery to a, a, a baby <laughs> before it was born in history. And, yes. like, and, but a woman <laughs> sitting at home, oh my God, that's going to be me. It's like, I remember, like, a doctor told me one time, every med student, by the time they're done with the part of their education about cancer, is convinced they have cancer. Right? Oh, they're, sure. they're like, oh, they're diagnosing themselves. I'm like, there's a mark on my arm. You know, like, <laughs> dude, that mark, there's a picture of you from when you were four. It was there then, at least. Yeah. So it's not cancer. Yeah. But, like, we become sensitive to things. Yes. I think men are more sensitive this way. But, like, if you're driving your car and you are like, whoa, wait a minute. Did, was there a... Did my engine miss? Was there a, a hesitation? All of a sudden, like, you're driving your car like 10 miles an hour under the speed limit, and everything that it does is, like, you're, like, hypersensitive to it. And I think yes. we're more likely to get hypersensitive with our bodies than a car, you yes. know. So I think that, mm -hmm. like, so my other thing with that, like, I'm sure this could come into, like, how people feel about their pregnancy is what I said about COVID was my wife and I had this really weird, for all we know, it was COVID and it got here early, In November of 2019, we had this really weird long-term dry pneumonia. Mm -hmm. And it was disconcerting because it felt like when you were breathing, like you could fill your lungs, but you weren't quite getting enough oxygen. And I was mm. thinking like, okay, if this had happened five months later, while the hype of COVID was at its height, we probably would have been like, oh my God, like this would have been far worse because of our emotional response to it. And I can yes. see how, you know, again, trying to be a guy and never having been pregnant, knowing I never will, try to like not speak for women, but I can see how with something that traumatic as it is, that momentous, I mean, there's the emotions of having a child, there's the pain that goes along with it, the discomfort, and then having all of that shit planted in your head, mm -hmm. it has to make what already is a major experience more traumatic. It has to. Yes, absolutely. And the other thing about media that just is such a disservice to all of us as women and therefore as families, because wherever there's a baby, there's a mom and a dad, whether whatever family situation, that's just biologically what happens. So, so many of us are impacted by this In these shows, in the movies, in all media depictions, most media depictions of birth, mom is painted to know nothing. Yeah, they're and all idiots, right? They're all morons. Complete yeah. idiots. Birthing people are hysterical. Like, just calm down. Calm down. It's just your baby. What? What's the big deal? And really that they don't have rights. Like, especially for a show like Grey's Anatomy, they'll show that they've done a couple episodes like 
making the point about the birth plans and like, well, these moms have to understand that some things aren't going to go to plan. And, oh, this is so ridiculous that they have all these expectations. Like the whole, it doesn't matter how your baby comes onto this earth as long as it's healthy and as long as you're healthy. Like that's a huge disservice to women to be like, it doesn't matter how your kid is born. I'm not putting any any shame on any type of birth. Like I don't have an ideal birth for any one person. Like I said, I want you to feel empowered in your decisions, whatever that looks like. Some women go into birth and they're like, I know that I cannot handle pain like this and I want help. Okay, let's talk about risks, benefits, alternatives of an epidural. Now you have all the information you need to make an informed decision. And wherever you go with that, that's your freedom. That's your right. And moms don't have rights. Moms are depicted as not knowing anything. And what is not depicted in media as well is that true informed consent piece and the right to informed refusal. Because... Where there's informed consent, there also is informed refusal. No coercion, no, um, like the vitamin P comment that is just not even close to, you're not even using the correct medical term for what you're going to be doing. There's all of these things that we hear on a regular basis in birth that are not questions their statements about what's going to be done to your body. Yeah, I'm, giving, just, I'm going to give you vitamin P is a far cry from saying we're going to chemically induce labor. And you should expect the worst pain of your life because then I talked to people after my experience and I was like, yeah, and then I got induced and it was really, I would like try to be much cooler than it actually was. I'm like, it was really uncomfortable. I was in a lot of pain. It was like, literally the worst thing that's ever happened to me and everybody I talked to is like oh yeah inductions will do that and I'm like what in the hell <laughs> why would I why would that have not come up before because you might say no agreed? because because you might say no and this leads to kind of in your notes uh, the concept of what you call a cascade of interventions what does that mean and how can you reduce the chance of experiencing a cascade of interventions. Like, I guess as you start with one intervention, that leads to another. Yes. So basically the cascade of an intervention starts with any event that makes a mother's body not feel safe to go through that hormonal flow to facilitate normal physiologic birth. So it's an evolutionary response. If your body is feeling fearful and there's a difference between, uh, like your internal body feeling fearful on a survival standpoint versus like, oh, well, hospitals don't scare me. I'm fine. Your body could still be in a state where this is all a new setting to me and this doesn't feel right for me to have this baby here. The same way that um, your body would stop this cascade of hormones to run somewhere safe in order to have your child in the woods or running from a predator or whatever that case may be. It's the same hormonal shift whether we're being chased by something or whether the lights are too bright in the hospital so things that can start this off um cervical checks 
uh, I really recommend against those. Um, your cervix is not a crystal ball. It does not where how um, much you're dilated or effaced has literally, from a research standpoint, no connection to where you are in the laboring or birthing process. And it's really invasive. It's terribly, horribly uncomfortable and painful. And it sends your body, it can send your body into this, I don't feel safe to be here. Then you get so the cascade of interventions is that initial event, like a cervical check, like coercion. Um, I know you want your baby to be safe, so we're going to do this without giving the risks, benefits, and alternatives to that choice. Um, white coat syndrome, bullying you about your estimated due dates, um, saying a mom is four days past her estimated due date and the doctor will say, well, if we make it to day seven, then I'm going to have to induce you. That's their own personal policy. <laughs> um, and it doesn't have anything to do with what research actually, actually supports about due dates, but it puts that pressure on mom that these things are going to be done to you. And most people don't know that it's an option. And it starts this cascade of interventions where you get a failure to progress because though that hormone flow was interrupted, your body's yeah. saying it is not safe to have a baby here. Um, failure to progress. Sense. Okay. We're going to induce you. We're just going to give you something to um, start your contractions. That's all that they really have to say to you in order to check the box on the nurse's screen that they got consent for this procedure. Um, that leads to unbearable pain, contractions longer, stronger, and uh, more frequent than what your body would um, naturally and if, I, and if I hear you right, and at the entire time, the biochemical process in the body is saying, don't do this. Don't yes. do this. This is bad. This is bad. A lion's going to eat your baby. Don't do yes. this here. You have to wait. You know, it's not safe yes. to do this. And at the same time, you're chemically inducing the thing while the person feels that it's not safe. And I'll tell you what really twisted my guts there for a second. You said something that comes from my sales training. Well, I know you want the best for your baby so, or I know you want your baby to be safe so. Do you, do you know what we call that in sales? What is that? An assumptive close. Ugh. You just had a doctor using a highly scientific, proven sales technique on a woman who has... All kinds of doubts in her mind and hormones coursing through her body. I can, I have literally, because I was evil back then. I didn't know any better. I was trying to get a deal. I had a quota. I've literally closed $600,000 contracts by saying, I know you want to make sure that you get this system in place prior to the end of your budget cycle. Mm -hmm. So let's go ahead and get this done. You tell me where that's any different, except that the person it's being done to by a doctor has, the doctor has more of an authority in the mind than, yep. than the salesperson does. And there's more emotion, right? All I'm, mm -hmm. all I'm doing is kind of shaking the guy down. Dude, you can lose your budget. Mm -hmm. we got to knock this out together, man, because you can lose your budget here. Yep. You don't know you're going to have this in the next budget cycle. And, and by the way, you're going to lose the money in your budget when the cycle ends. So let's get this done. Now, if it works there, you know, and then what I'm thinking of, I actually did that with a systems admin at FBI headquarters. 
right? I, I got a $600,000 equipment order by using that technique. Much easier to push a woman into doing a medical procedure that she doesn't understand. Much. It's sickening, actually. Oh, And it's Absolutely. too perfectly executed to be by coincidence or accident. I'm sorry. That yep. that's that's a pattern recognition thing I have where I'm like, oh, that's exactly what I used to train salespeople to do. Mm-hmm. And you train yeah. doctors are trained; they're not taught anymore. They're trained, and and there's there's a place for that. Like if you're doing a heart procedure on me, I'd like for you know the the 95 that goes right for you to be trained to do it exactly in the order that you're supposed to, and then your five percent is thinking on your feet. But that's training. That's training a doctor to sell, and it's, you probably train your interns to do it for you. Uh-huh. That's my best guess. Your interns, all those, all those young kids that were uh, making babies in the uh, in the on call room. That's who you have yes. the training for to do that. <laughs> Anybody that's seen uh, Grey's Anatomy or show like it. Anyway, um, yes. so I mean that makes perfect sense. That you know you start this problem, it leads to another problem, that leads to another corrective action, it leads to another problem. And then just the inherent nature of our evolution that if this is a bad place, it's better that you don't give birth now. Yeah, yeah. And so it starts this process as a fight against your intuition and against what your your body is evolutionarily telling you to do. And So you get this unbearable pain from Pitocin. You get the epidural, which often leads to decelerations in fetal heart rate. And they say, yeah, baby's just not tolerating labor well. Um, we're going to need to go in and do a C-section. And that changes. And you can end up anywhere in this um, cascade of interventions. Like it's not... Um, you don't have to have everything present in order to be a part of it. Like I... I fell victim to this up until the epidural. I did almost pass out after the epidural and there were decelerations in Teddy's heart rate. And thankfully before, after threat of forceps, I was able to push him out um, safely without having to have any of the other interventions. Like the decelerations in fetal heart rate can lead to a C-section, but it can also lead to forceps or vacuum use, which has a higher risk to mom and baby or um, an episiostomy, um, which is just a horrendous thing to do when a doctor actually cuts the um, perineum instead of letting it tear on its own. Um, so there's just... So then at the end of that, okay, you get the C-section and you're recovering from this just earth-shattering surgery. Like the amount of muscle that they need to go through to get this baby out, like you're not to, you have a weight restriction on what you can lift afterwards. Just like, I think C-section is so routine that we don't even give mom mom's credit anymore that this is like a major life-altering surgery. You get the C-section and you're in recovery and you're like, oh, thank God that I was in this hospital to have this baby because I would have needed a C-section and I wouldn't have been here. When really the hospital is the exact reason why you ended up in a C-section. And so they make repeat customers. The hospital makes repeat customers because those customers felt like they were in inevitable 
you know, risk or it was inevitable demise and the heroes are the doctors. And I'm like you said at the beginning, there's a time and a place for all of these interventions and it needs to come with informed consent. It needs to come with um, people being able to experience a physiologic childbirth education course outside of the hospital course to talk about for both parties, for both partners, what to expect, what's normal. Um, and so I'm not over here being like everybody should give birth in a field of wildflowers. That's not that's not what this is about. We should be using these interventions at the time where research supports that it is a better outcome for mother or baby given that very specific set of circumstances of that mother and that baby and not so much a policy and procedure. And it's like a decision tree. Well, if they come in and there's their water's already broken, we do this. And then if they, you know what I mean? Like just one after the other, this is what we do when this without having that, um, care model be very specific to that person and having that informed consent in place. Awesome. Awesome. Um, you know, and, and I, I just, again, I see the larger pattern here. This, it, it, we're talking about it as it relates to childbirth today, but this is something that the medical establishment does with literally everything. They do right. it with vaccines. You know, no, no doctor sits down and says, well, here's the actual risk to your child if they actually get this illness. They just say it's time for their vaccine. Right. The, no doctor says, you know, we don't really need to give this vaccine at this age because your infant is not going to get freaking hepatitis. Right. Right. It's just not a thing. I, I don't think uh -huh. your, your infant is going to be out using intravenous drugs having unprotected sex. That's not a thing. Like, like, yeah, isn't right, that interesting? <laughs> right. Like, like, isn't that a reasonable thing? Like, why do I need to shock my infant's body with this immuno, best case scenario, what they would describe an immunostimulating cocktail, right? right? Why do I need to do that for a disease that they have literally no risk for? The answer I've been given on that one is, well, some people do have a risk. Okay, well, I, I'm not a crackhead. My wife's not a crackhead. We don't. How about we don't do that and you worry about the crackhead baby? Right. Right? Like, like I understand yep. that maybe you're right about that, but if, if something affects 1% or 2% of people, why are you going to use a medical treatment that's unnecessary on 100% of the people? And it's because yep. there's an industry behind it. And this Absolutely. same pattern of I'm going to tell you what you're going to do as though that is the only choice you have is why I don't trust doctors, and I don't trust, I don't trust science anymore. It's not that I, don't, I, I say I don't trust science. I talked about this the other day on my Miyagi thing. I trust the scientific process. Yep. I don't trust the institutions of science because they're corrupted. Absolutely. With this, this pattern of behavior, this is, this is sociopathic behavior. You call it white coat syndrome. You know, it's God syndrome is what it is. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. So... What then is the alternative? What really do we mean when we say birth freedom? Yeah, so birth freedom in birth freedom should be true informed consent, right to informed refusal, no coercion, and having 
in my personal experience. So I didn't have a doula for my first birth. I had a doula for my second birth. And the difference in experience was really astounding. And the reason that I said I need to do this for other women. So having a third party representative walk next to you through this journey that has no stake in the game either way, you know, um, there to say, okay, these are the things that your doctor um, has proposed. This is the latest evidence-based research because not all medical professionals need to adhere to the latest recommendations. They can judge their own practice based on what they've seen um, in their own years of experience. Um, they can choose what kind of uh, continuing education that they would like to do and what they would like to stay most up to date on. Um, I know that myself as a registered dietitian, I have to do uh, 75 continuing education credits um, every five years, which really kills me because like we had talked about in the beginning, I am not on the same page as my governing organization. I have to have my license in order for people to find me to be credible. So I keep up with it, but I'm spending my money on 75 credits that I'm going through the motions to, uh, you know, means to an end. And I get to choose what I would like to stay updated on. So me as a women's health um, registered dietitian, I could say that I want to do mostly food service, uh, food service management, continuing education, and that would be okay. That has nothing to do with what I do for a living, but I get the choice as to what I would like to stay most up to date on. And so... It's just really astounding that um, that can happen and that as I was, um, so I was in the hospital working as a dietitian for two years and I, no, this was in my internship. So I was working with all different dietitians in my internship in different areas of practice and when I was in my clinical rotation, there was a team of six dietitians. Um, one of them was probably in her like mid to late fifties. And she was teaching me how they calculate energy needs for, um, babies on tube feeding in the NICU. And she said, yeah, I know that everybody else uses this equation, but I learned it this way in school. So I've just always used this formula, which has been scientifically disproven and been known to drastically underestimate needs. But it was her choice whether she wanted to use the updated formula or the one that she learned when she was in school. And that was like, what do you mean? What do you mean that this is your own personal choice to go against what is the latest research? And so having that third party as a doula be there to um, 
break everything down to take the time that the medical institution does not have in order to go through risks, benefits, alternatives, and what if we do nothing? Um, I think that that is a huge key to birth freedom. And I think that hiring a doula is one of the best ways that you can um, avoid or at least feel empowered through a cascade of interventions. To have that person to um, facilitate dialogue between you and your practitioner, um, to ask questions, to look at you in your eyes and say, do you feel comfortable with this plan of action? Because you don't get those kind of questions in all interactions with a physician or a nurse. Um, so, yeah, I talk about informed consent until I'm blue in the face all the time because I've just seen it in my own personal experience how disempowering um, not being told all of your options is. And then to go to my son, Vincent, was born in a pool in our living room and attended by a midwife and a doula. And Dylan knew what to expect. He did the, um, he read a book called Ina May's Guide to Childbirth, which I recommend that every um, pregnant woman read, but also uh, partners to read as well, because she went through all of what normal physiological birth looks like and what to expect. So Dylan was so upset at our first birth because he didn't know what to expect. He thought we live in a culture where pain has to be horrible and pain has to be a sign that like we're dying. And that's not the case in childbirth. The pain is for a purpose. The pain has an end and we can do different things to help our bodies cope with that pain. But the second time around, he still saw me in a lot of pain, and he was so calm. He was such a calming um, presence. He felt so much more fulfilled by the experience because he was ready. He knew what physiologic childbirth is supposed to look like, and he felt empowered that we had all of our decisions being um, very, very thoroughly explained to us. So I can't um, stress enough, you know, having the doula and doing the preparation work beforehand outside of what the hospital um, would like you to participate in because they went through, I think it was like for ours, it was two four-hour classes on Saturday mornings. And we did a like maybe an hour of birth positions and like, aromatherapy and then the rest of it was like this is our policy when you blank epidurals are neat because you won't feel anything um and not providing you know a full story on that so um preparation and a doula swear by it so what is the actual experience then for a mother and a baby from childbirth. It seems that like 
the, one of the big differences there would be that if you ask a mother what was going on when they gave birth, assuming they were conscious, they can tell you. They remember. If you ask me what it was like when I was born, I, I don't flippin' know. But I'm sure there's some effect on me as a being from that experience. It's a, you know, it is, is one of the most incredible experiences that anybody will ever have, giving birth or being born. Yes, absolutely. I actually just read an article um, about that, and I was um, doing some research in preparation for our talk, and I had pinned this article thinking that it was going to talk about what effect, like you said, the act of childbirth has on the mother, but really it was talking about what your birth experience how that psychologically affects you and programs you um, for your future life. It was really interesting. It's very new um, research. Is your birth experience still affecting you by Jacob Devaney? And um, it's talking about the psychological research of what our body stores inside of us because of what our um birth experience looked like and even what our mother was feeling when we were being born. It's, it's crazy. But from a, just looking at mom and baby, the difference between the empowering and informed birth experience versus a disempowered experience has a huge toll on maternal mental health, which is very, very important to me because I personally have been very much affected by postpartum anxiety and postpartum depression. Um, for both of my uh, birth experiences and um, birth trauma is a huge issue right now. And um, that can be in the eye of the beholder, because like I had said, for my first birth experience, um, so I had a, Induction, which led to an epidural and then a norm, what is considered a normal vaginal delivery. That was very, very traumatic to me because I didn't feel in control and things were being done to me that I wasn't fully understanding. But to somebody else, and I know this for a fact because when I talk about my birth experience, people are like, well, I'm glad it worked out. Like, oh, that's great that you and, well, you and him were safe, right? Like, I shouldn't ever be talking about what my experience was like for me because everybody turned out safe. That is the absolute bare minimum that we can do in caring for women in childbirth is for mother and baby to be safe. That should be a given, and there should be all kinds of other markers of success that we measure. And Moms being empowered and feeling safe should be a huge part of this system being successful. And that is the um, very much the minority in what we're doing right now. The mental health aspect, I do want to touch on the fact that um, a doula was totally necessary for me in diagnosing my mental health um issues, postpartum anxiety and depression after uh, my second Vinny was born. The first, when Teddy was born, I ended up having to have a major surgery when he was five weeks old because 
lo and behold, what they saw on the ultrasound in all of those ultrasounds in my last 20 weeks of pregnancy were not correct. And I didn't have cancer. And instead I had two uteruses. So ultrasound is one of those things that's uh, marketed as a science and it is so far from it. And it is so like, there's a time and a place, but there are a lot of false positives in what people, what doctors and radiologists are seeing on ultrasounds. Because if I can go my whole pregnancy with them thinking that I had this gigantic cyst on my ovary, and actually it turned out to be two separate uteruses that I've had for my whole life and went undiagnosed, that tells you that ultrasound is a guess. And if your doctor is telling you, well, your baby's too big right now, they'll never fit through your pelvis, stick to your guns because <laughs> ultrasound can be two pounds uh, off on either side, two pounds less or two pounds more than the, um, than the estimate. So, um, for the mental health portion, I had this terrible, uh, journey medically and had to have this surgery after at five weeks postpartum. I went, I loved my baby out in, the world one week after my surgery to go to this uh, six month or the six week appointment, which is pretty standard with obese. And she said, well, so how are things going? And I said, they're going good. Yeah. I'm just so happy to be a mom. Like all of these things that you feel like you have to say as a new mom. And in that situation of how are things going, I would have never told her, I am resenting my newborn. I lie awake every night watching him make sure that making sure that he's breathing to an obsessive level. I stay up at night and I have visions of watching my son starve to death while a fiery apocalypse comes and destroys all of us. I didn't say any of those things, even though they were completely true and completely what was going on in my, um, in my head and in my life at that time, because I was ashamed because I know that moms aren't supposed to feel this way. And being nervous is like a thing that moms do. This has to be normal that I think we're going to die in a fiery apocalypse and that I'm going to have to watch him die in front of me. That's probably super normal. And it's obviously not. So when I had a doula the second time, I had this person that I had created a much more close bond with over the course of my pregnancy. They were there for my birth. And as soon as I was losing my temper, as soon as I was getting so anxious that I couldn't fall asleep, um, that my heart rate was elevated, all of these things, I reached out to her and I was like, hey, I think something's really wrong. And this is what I'm experiencing. Know that Knowing that she was a safe person and knowing that she was going to help connect me with the resources that I needed to be more successful. And that first time that I experienced anxiety and depression symptoms with Vinny was on a Tuesday and I was on medication and seeing a therapist by Friday. So the birth experience matters and empowered birth experience matters and maternal mental health disorders are at an all time high and we need to get in there. We need to have people that know what to look for that are 
in the trenches with these women to make sure that we all stay alive because that's how serious it is. You, you know? know, this actually, in a weird way, makes me think of an episode of Star Trek. Uh, and, and, well, it's about doctors, though. So in the uh, Voyager series, there's this uh, doctor that's actually a hologram. And he's a computer-generated person that is the doctor for the ship because the, the real doctor got killed when the ship got thrown out in space, right? So all they have is this hologram, right? And um, his bedside manner, as you might imagine, is shit. I mean, you know, just no empathy, no understanding, whatever. And in an effort to prove that all the critiques of his bedside manner are wrong, he gives himself a cold. Huh. And this cold is going to last, you know, 72 hours or whatever. So he can experience being sick. Uh, well, his assistant freaking hacks the program and makes the cold last, like, an extra day. Hmm. So the assurance, right, that this will just go away is taken away, and he freaks the hell out, mm, right? Yep. And he learns a lesson. I think there's a lot of that in doctors, especially with pregnancy, especially males. You've never had a baby. You don't know. And then the other thing is, like, again, things that are routine to a doctor are not routine to the person experiencing it. I've seen thousands of pregnancies, and this happens all the time. So what? So mm -hmm. And they don't have the empathy, partially because of the way our medical system works. They don't have the time for it. Yep. But what that leads to is, like, what you're saying. So a woman either goes to the doctor with these issues and is told, don't worry about it. Yep. And every man knows telling your wife not to worry about shit. That works really good. That's oh, a yeah. great idea. All of you guys <laughs> just keep doing that, and you know what works even better? Calm down. That's a great, oh, yeah. oh that's beautiful. You just keep saying that and call me when you have a freaking, you know, steak knife embedded in your forehead. <laughs> um, so, like, that doesn't help, especially, and then you've got the ginned-up hormones, you've got the emotions, you've got the doubt, the fear. And I imagine having someone you can call that's not going to do that shit to you makes two things happen. One, you get a better result when you do call. But number two, you make the call. Absolutely. I, I can't imagine how many women maybe have had issues with their pregnancy. They call their doctor. They get just basically talked down to. And then when they have a bigger issue, they don't make the call. Totally. And it's a natural outcome of this type of system. And that's we've got a systemic problem. Um, yes. What do you think, so that women especially and, and their, their, their partners who are getting ready to have a baby, are in the process of having a baby, know they're going to have a baby, so they can take away some action items out of the, today's show, what are the top five things you'd recommend every pregnant woman do to prepare for their birth experience, and what can partners do to support them during that time? Absolutely. So, like I said, Ina May's Guide to Childbirth is an incredible book that gets everybody um, on the same page of what a normal physiological birth looks like, what you can expect and empowers partners with strategies, with the right things to say, um, different positions, all these things to help birth be a more comfortable experience for uh, mom and her partner. Uh, definitely hire a trusted birth doula to make sure that you get that informed consent piece, physical, emotional support, and mental health screening afterward because a doula um, follows you postpartum as well. Um, taking a physiologic childbirth education course outside of the hospital's course. So I am actually working on rolling out my own 
childbirth education course. Um, it's a big undertaking, so it is going to take a while, but that is, I feel called to be a part of that, especially when so many things are going virtual now to be able to have something, um, virtually that people all over the country can do, um, is going to be really cool. There are other programs out there. Um, Reading Real Food for Pregnancy by Lily Nichols. And that was actually recommended by Dr. Ken Berry on a previous TSP episode. Uh, Lower carb um, ancestral diet approach. And it has the answers to so many um, questions in there. They go through... um, environmental toxins. Um, she goes through water quality. She goes through um, dealing with more of the routine um, discomforts of pregnancy, how to deal with um, supporting your body through, uh, why is it not coming to me? Reflux and heartburn, which are terrible for a lot of women in pregnancy, how to get better sleep. Um, Just a really awesome guide. And it also has a recipes section in it that I use those recipes on a weekly basis with my family, even though none of us are pregnant. It's a, it's a way of living that can be um, applied to the entire family and it's good for everybody. So that's really cool. And number five would just be to focus on being present and intentional for your mental and your emotional well-being, whatever that means to you. If that's spending more time um, connecting with your partner um, while you're pregnant, please do that. Um, if that's meditating or journaling about um, getting your emotions out um, before birth, because our beings are very emotionally driven, um, whether we are intuitive to not intuitive enough to realize that or not, it definitely is the case. So processing through emotions before you get to that point so that your body is ready to open up and participate in what it already knows how to do um, is really great. And the best thing that I can say for partners and Dylan agreed with me a hundred percent was knowing the difference between validation versus a solution mindset for your wife or girlfriend or partner. So like you said, you give a man a problem and he gets out his toolbox and he fixes the problem. There are a lot of things about pregnancy and about birth that cannot be fixed. They're not meant to be fixed. How are you doing, honey? I slept three hours last night because the child you put in me was kicking me into my ribs and I can barely breathe and my heartburn was terrible. Oh, well, did you try taking an antacid is not going to be the solution (laughs) and is not going to go well. So you have to switch your mindset. And I actually saw um, a post on Instagram that a husband said he asks his wife, um, do you want me to listen or do you want me to help you solve it? And putting that out for both parties, for her to just be like, no, I want you to listen and I want you to say this sucks really bad and you're sorry that it's happening to me. Then everybody's got the same expectations. That's good advice and a lot of shit. 
Right. Don't try yeah. to fix shit for your woman, guys. Like, just don't. Like, if there's an obvious solution, even then, shut up about it. Because if you just understand it, she'll probably see it. You know. And, and yeah. it's okay. I'll tell you what. It's okay to tell your 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 partner how to fix a problem when they ask. When they just tell you about it, yeah. they're not interested in hearing your solution. Ninety percent of the time, anyway. Yeah, absolutely. I say that as a man that's happily married after 25 years. Yeah, so you know it. You yeah. get it. Um, so that was really important to me in that um, from... You, you know, on that, like, I've always explained that this way. If a man has a problem, he will call the person he knows that knows the most about the problem. If there's a problem with my car, yeah. I'm going to call a guy that I know down the road here that knows everything about cars. If I have a problem with my my pasture, I'm going to call Darby Simpson, right? Like that's right. what, that's who a woman will generally call her best friend. Even if her best friend doesn't know Jack diddly crap about it. And that's because we're different emotional beings. And yep. there's a time when the solution, if there is one, right, we'll worry about that. But right now I want to worry about how I feel. The guy, I want this thing fixed. And like, you need to understand that dichotomy guys. Cause that's a, that's not a false dichotomy. That's a real one. And be comfortable with it. And like you said, in some instances, there isn't a fit, like, Being uncomfortable when you're present, pregnant is there's a reason. Yeah. There's an evolutionary reason for it, and the only real solution for a lot of it is to progress through it. Yep. All right. Totally. No, that makes sense. I'm just hitting the knuckleheads a little harder out there that are young and naive in their relationships. <laughs> you got to get them early. Yes. Yeah. Like, you're going to be happier if you trust us on this, guys, really. Yes. <laughs> You know, so um, how can people learn more about what you do and, and, and what you have available as far as being able to help people? Yes. So I am on Facebook and Instagram. Um, my beautiful husband who runs, we run our business together. He is working on float and MeWe. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I'm looking to him for the for the names because that's his passion. And, um, we also have an Etsy shop. We, um, I make handmade macrame products and we're also going to be doing homegrown smudge sticks. Um, and that's more as a part of our like farm products. We okay. are in the process right now of, we close August 20th on a five acre property, uh, a little ways outside of town here in Wisconsin. And, We couldn't be more thrilled. We have 50 chickens being delivered. Dylan's doing a really obnoxious dance just to update everybody. Um, <laughs> we will have chickens delivered. We're going to be doing uh, some silvopasture stuff. Um, Dylan's been working on the permaculture design. So um, We got a lot of irons in the fire, and you can find us a lot of different ways. We also have our own website that has um, information on all of our services, uh, investment, and what you can do, uh, what we offer um, remotely. So um, anybody is more than welcome to check that out as well. Well, very cool. And you sent over an email through Dorothy today with a bunch of resources, and, and I'll make sure that all of that stuff, including the stuff you sent over this morning, is available to uh, to folks uh, after they hear this or while they're hearing this. They don't have to worry about writing stuff down. And, sure. and I really appreciate you coming on today. I, I have to tell you, um, I thought this would be good. 
it was better than I expected. Um, it was a subject that I think we, we probably really have needed to talk about for a long time. You know, we talk about a, a survival uh, on this show, obviously, but we also talk about lifestyle design and freedom in our lives. Yep. And this is one of the biggest experiences that people will go through in their lives, uh, having a child. And I don't mean raising a child. That's a separate experience, right? Actually yep. going from conception to birth, that experience is a massive experience. It has a tremendous amount of influence on people's lives. And the system is going to lay down steps one, two, three, four, and five. And the system is going to basically tell you, and I, I would have already said this, but now I will say with greater conviction after our discussion, that you are a horrible person if you do not do steps one, two, three, four, and five, right? And Absolutely. 5A if five doesn't work and, and do what the doctor says. And they may not say that directly, no. but the assumptive close bullshit you explained to me, like, well, I know you want what's best for your baby, so... Yep. That's what's inferred, and that's what immediately goes into the mind of a person in that state, and probably more so than they were in a more calm, relaxed, you know, non-having-a-child-come-out-of-your-body state. Um, right. And I, there's no way a doctor doesn't know that. Mm -hmm. There's no way that a doctor gets through medical school and does not understand the what I understand. Right? Mm -hmm. They clearly understand it better than I do. Um, so... This is probably long overdue and necessary, and I really appreciate you being with us uh, today. I am so thrilled. Um, ever since Dylan has been listening to the Survival Podcast, um, I've said to him, well, what about birth? But what about freedom and birth? Wouldn't that be cool? And he was like, okay, now's your chance. <laughs> like, fill out the form, and I'm like, okay, let's do it. I'm, yeah. so, I'm honored to be here, really. Man, I wish more people would, because you give people all the time, well, you should do a show on this. Well, do you know about it? Yeah, well, fill out the form. Right. Uh, I'm not the right person for it. Yeah, you probably are. Like, clearly you cared enough to suggest it, and you know about it. And I, I love having discussions like this. And, uh, again, I appreciate you being with us today. Thank you so much, Jack. Dolgy, it was a great discussion. And I bet you know the part that I was talking about when I said there's a part when I was literally disgusted uh, and how it related to uh, sales technique. You, you didn't have any doubt when we got there. Did you? If that didn't disgust you, you did just, just maybe work a little harder on your pattern recognition because that is done across the board by doctors. And it's one of the reasons I know some of y'all out there listening to me are doctors. I don't trust you. It's not I don't trust you as people. I don't trust the system within which you work. And I don't trust some of the things that you have to do to stay in the system in which you work. I don't trust that you have the fortitude to buck the system enough for me to trust you, like I said, without verifying before I do. Anyway, with that, before we wrap up completely, let's go ahead and remind you that one of the ways you can help support this show and the work that we do is do your online shopping at tspaz.com. That is T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. I don't have an item of the day for you today. I'm just going to give you another reminder about the Amazon Renewed program. There's a write-up that I have today on the blog. We can learn more about it. But I'm just going to tell you that there's a lot of stuff on Amazon. It's generally top brands, okay? It's if you're in power tools, it's not Joe Bozo's drill, right? It, 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 it's you, you know you're looking at like DeWalt or Milwaukee or Makita, and when it comes to like household appliances and stuff like that, you're looking at like 
high, if you're looking in vacuums, you're looking at like a shark vacuum or you're looking at uh, a Dyson or something like that. Uh, or if you're looking at like kitchen appliances, you're looking at like, you know, Nutri-Ninja, uh, higher-end blenders and stuff like that. And, and uh, what's the one? The Vitamix, right? You'll find those there a lot too. You won't find everything all the time. It comes and it goes. But the way that it's presented, what it sounds like is Bill bought a Vitamix And Amazon sent the Vitamix to Bill's house, and then somewhere within the warranty period, the Vitamix exploded. And then Bill sent the Vitamix back under warranty, and then some technician somewhere in a room at Amazon got out a soldering gun and fixed it, and then they're selling it to you rebuilt. No, what happened is Bill bought a Vitamix. It got to his house. His wife said, we can't afford this, Bill. And so Bill used Amazon's liberal return policy and sent it back. And now it's a used item. It cannot be sold as new. But since it's a Vitamix or a Nutri-Ninja or a DeWalt drill that Bill bought when he didn't have permission to or something thereof and came back, and it's a high-end recognized brand, Amazon knows that it will move. So instead of throwing it into a pallet full of used items and returned items that they just sell wholesale, they put it in their renewed store. Somebody at Amazon basically repackages it. And it's mostly a brand new item. Nobody's rebuilding a drill at Amazon. Nobody's rebuilding a Nutri Ninja. These are returns within the return window. They're basically new items. And you can save a ton of money. And you should read my write-up on this. And I'm going to tell you, it's really prevalent in power tools, especially with DeWalt, because DeWalt is stupid. DeWalt will not fix their problem that people that came up under the 18-volt tools don't understand how the 20-volt chargers work. And people think the damn thing doesn't work, and they send it back, and then Amazon sells it used at a big discount. Recently, I got almost $500 worth of DeWalt tools for about $180 through the Renewed program. It's not always that good. I just want you to know about it, and again, read my write-up, but remember, you should always start at tspaz.com. If you want to support the show and the work that we do when you do your shopping online, with that, let's go ahead and wrap up with our song of the day today. As I said, I called an audible this week. And I'm doing an Aaron Lewis week, and I'm doing it because of the song I want to play for you tomorrow. But I also thought this would be a good opportunity to put some stuff on by Aaron Lewis that I hadn't done before. I, it, I, my wife and I were talking about this over the weekend. We were just sitting listening to some music and having some drinks on the couch. That if we ended up in a situation where we could have like a famous musician play a concert in the backyard at, let's say, a TSP workshop or something, like anybody, we'd probably pick him. Because of the amazing talent, plus it just seems like he would be the guy that if somehow he got roped into that, would like hang out. Like just hang out and be and like be happy to be part of a group like we hang out with. He just seems like that kind of guy to me. I, I highly doubt that I'm wrong. Today's song of the day by Aaron Lewis is a cover. He's only done a few of those. Um, Granddaddy's Gun was a cover. And it was done so well that since I had never heard Granddaddy's Gun, the first time I heard Aaron Lewis play it, I thought it was his song about his dad gone gun because he sells the song like that. Because there's something about Aaron that he's able to find the emotion to fit the song. Today's song was originally released, I think, in 2006 by Rascal Flatts. Now, I'm going to say you have to have some stones to do a cover of a Rascal Flatts song because their lead vocalist has a, a vocal range 
and that higher pitched, higher key vocal, that if you're trying to do that and you can't, even a little bit can't, you're going to sound like crap because everybody knows what that song's supposed to sound like. Well, then you get a guy like Aaron Lewis who doesn't care what the song is supposed to sound like when someone else is singing it. One says, I'm going to sing this song my way. And he has a tendency to do something that I guess if it's your song, you have to be like, it's great that Aaron Lewis is doing my song, but my version will just never be what it was ever again. Because the raw emotion and the vocal talent in this version of this song is just amazing. I'll let the lyrics speak for themselves. It's not one of these songs that needs to be decrypted much. But I think this is a song that will speak to people that have experienced exactly what's described, where he says, watching you walk away. That's what hurts the most. But the song is more broad in the way people interpret it. And if you read the comments on YouTube that I've linked to, the YouTube version of this song, it's just the understanding of loss in general. And the raw emotion in this song conveys that loss. With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Take the rain on the roof of this empty house That don't bother me I can take a few tears now and then And just let them out I'm not afraid to cry Every once in a while Even though going on with you gone Still upsets me There are days every now and again I pretend I'm okay, but that is not what gets me. What hurts the most is being so close and having so much to say. Watching you walk away and never know. Whoa!
That's what I was trying.